Good afternoon. You're on the panel, RNZ National. Nice to be with you. Uh, we have Steve McCabe and Ali Jones today. And, and uh, at four, just um, the latest news is that Chris Luxon, Prime Minister Chris Luxon, has j- published a 49.2 page, 100 day plan detailing the first actions his uh, government will take. Uh, some key points here. Um, Introduce legislation to narrow the Reserve Bank's mandate to price stability, repeal the fair pay agreement legislation. Some of this you already know, don't you? Uh, repeal the clean card discount scheme. There's also introducing legislation to ban gang patches and ban the use of cell phone in schools, etc. You'll hear more about that on Checkpoint, and we'll come to that tomorrow on the panel as well. But to this, this is keeping on going. This story, reverberations continue around the new government's decision to scrap smoke-free legislation saying vaping would remain the primary tool for reducing smoking rates. It was news that was picked up internationally. Britain's Prime Minister Rishi Sunak still plans to follow the New Zealand model. Uh, The national-led government wants to repeal that legislation that had previously reduced the number of stores able to sell cigarettes to around 600 nationwide and restrict the sale of tobacco to anyone born after 2009. Now, one of the key issues raised was how it would give rise to a black market as well as an increase in ram raids. Now, it so happens there was a New Zealand study uh, last year, released last year, about the tobacco and the black market. It was peer-reviewed and then published by the British Medical Journal. Well, what does it say? With us is Professor Chris Bullen from the University of Auckland, a fellow at the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco. Professor Bullen, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Okay, so what do we know then about a black market developing if we reduced the number of stores able to sell cigarettes to around 600 nationwide? Well, what we know is that... Um From other tobacco control measures, such as raising the price of tobacco, that despite tobacco industry claims of a growing black market under those circumstances, we've seen year on year um, smoking and illicit tobacco trade dropping. So I don't expect that the uh, reduction in retail outlets, um, who will all be required to have top security measures, will actually lead to an increase in RAM rates. These are arguments that come straight from the industry itself, and um, they're not substantiated by um, good quality research anywhere in the world. It's funny, isn't it, because many listeners might think it surely follows that if you drive something underground, a significant black market will develop. Many might point, for example, to the prohibition of alcohol in the US, which did not really work. Well, um, I mean, you know, we can understand that is the immediate response people have, but it's just not borne out by the facts. The, the reality is the tobacco that will be on sale from those stores within a few months would be under the about-to-be-repealed legislation, would be denicotinized tobacco, which um, smokers find to be uh, not particularly pleasant. In fact, that's the main platform of the, um, this new act is to introduce uh, denicotinization. And so um, people don't find that particularly uh, pleasant and it makes them want to quit smoking. And that's what's going to lead to the greatest reduction in smoking prevalence in New Zealand, in fact. 
So uh, I think, you know, um, the other thing is the the value uh, you get from breaking in and stealing from high security um, stores that sell tobacco, uh, the, the value on the market uh, is probably not worth the risk. If you get caught, the fines are going to be incredibly high. And um, there are other things that gangs and criminal elements may find more attractive because of the return on investment. Okay, Ali Jones. Yeah, Chris, I'm not a supporter of smoking at all. I smoked myself for 30 years and it's the worst thing I ever did. I watched my mother die of it. It's just absolutely revolting. But what I want to know, though, is you've mentioned the RAM rating and the lack of attractiveness to that and the risk and so Mm. forth. But the point that Wallace raised about uh, black market and the mention of gangs and the prohibition, I still, with respect, haven't heard you address that issue because I I, I think there is evidence that the gangs and a black market does happen in situations where things are uh, removed from the market or, as you've suggested, become so unpleasant that people just can't find what they want anymore. Yeah, so there are alternatives um, for people to get uh, nicotine, which is the thing that drives tobacco consumption, and that includes uh, nicotine replacement therapy and um, vapes. So those alternatives are available legally in New Zealand for adults over the age of 18, and as part of the overall package was to ensure that people could move out of tobacco smoking onto vaping or quitting completely. And that's, but the vaping the is point. problematic in itself, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've, I know young people who are vaping and really want to get off it. I, I heard a terrible story about an eight-year-old boy at a primary school here in Christchurch who didn't realise he was smoking using nicotine vapes. And when his parents and teachers found out, they worked out he was smoking up to three packets of cigarettes a day because of the nicotine content. I mean, surely that's not an argument um, to support, you know, um, uh, not banning uh, cigarettes or rather banning cigarettes because the vapes have their own issues. Yeah, well, I agree that vapes have their own issues and they're certainly not products for children to be vaping and it's horrific to hear about an eight-year-old vaping, but they're not smoking. It's not quite the same exposure to harm, but nevertheless, I'm not diminishing the concerns around that. However, for people who smoke, who want a way out of smoking, they are shown to be a very effective tool, but they're not the sole answer. And I think we need to think about how we change the environment to make it easier for people to smoke. So taking the nicotine out of tobaccos one way of doing that. But just getting back to your point, I think the, um, the, the combination of the reduction in accessibility um, sends messages. We know that in studies overseas, reducing the number of stores um, makes it uh, less likely that people who've quit smoking relapse to smoking. It, it, it helps reduce smoking initiation in young people who um, wouldn't otherwise be tempted and uh, helps prompt people to to quit smoking. So I think um, there's good evidence to support the retailer reduction strategy, but you have to combine that with monitoring the illicit trade. And we have got an illicit trade in New Zealand. Well, can I I address that, Chris? Because here's one. Max says, Wallace, if you lived in the real world, you would know there's a black market in tobacco now. It's the only way that most people can afford it. Can you address that? Yeah, sure. So there is a black market, and we measured uh, a base, did a baseline assessment, but we also last year and found it to be around about 8.5% of tobacco that people smoke. Well, the, right. the gap between, yeah. So that's about um, about what other studies have shown, a little bit higher, but it's actually a, a lower than it was in 2012. So there's an overall gradual decline because. The number of people smoking and the number of cigarettes they smoke is actually declining pretty much um, 
you know, over the last decade. People are just moving out of smoking tobacco, but it's taking a while. So in terms of the proportion of, uh, of cigarettes that people are accessing that are illegal, you know, it's somewhere between about probably about five and ten percent okay. fluctuations. And COVID kind of interrupted the the data trend because you know borders uh, and, and imports and so forth were Steve. affected. But um, yeah, just I, I think I think the the argument though is that the um, tobacco industry certainly wants to make uh, everybody believe that it's much worse than it is. And the studies that they have commissioned have always shown far higher rates of. Um, of smuggling I'm, lo- I'm, looking at, I'm looking at the you know, you say 8% they say about 11.5% but we've got to let yeah. Steve McCabe come in well first of yeah. all I'm, I'm sure it's purely coincidental that the number 3 list MP on the national party list is a former um, tobacco I don't think uh, that's industry. fair that's, there's nothing to do there's nothing why, why the link there uh, the, 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 the fact that, that, that there are clearly demonstra- demonstrated links between Chris Bishop who is as I say the wasn't, num- part, of, wasn't part of national's policy it might have been part of New Zealand's first but not oh, part of national ok so, so we'll set that that one aside. We'll then look at the fact that, that this is not being done, according to Nicola Willis's statements, as part of a public health policy, but instead it's being done as part of a, a, a revenue generation policy. Um, it's such a widely respected policy that we've got a very, very right-wing government in the UK adopting a policy brought in by a left-adjacent po- uh, party in New Zealand. It's We've got The Guardian and The Daily Mail both shaking their heads in disbelief at New Zealand. And yet somehow um, Christopher Luxon and his his alleged government have seen fit to, to repeal this. It beggars belief. And the thing is, like you say, tobacco isn't what the young kids are getting into these days. My experience teaching in a decile one South Auckland high school is, oh, yeah, they're smoking, but it's not nicotine, mate. It's not tobacco. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, sure, there is a black market in, in cannabis because it's a prohibited substance. But maybe we should take that approach um, with, with cannabis. If this is what Christopher looks like, like I said before, right. wants to say, you know, do, be consistent about it. But people aren't really smoking. From what I've seen, they're not taking up cigarette smoking. They're taking up marijuana smoking. Final comment, Chris. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think, you know, these are all good points and I, I couldn't agree more about the um, the retrograde step that the government is proposing to take in terms of repealing this legislation. Just to let people know that there is a monitoring process in place. So over the next four or five years, the government is closely monitoring um, the illegal trade, uh, but it is a legal trade and so it is quite tricky to estimate. However, the data that we have suggests it isn't going up any time. It isn't going up and I doubt that it will take a big leap upward with the current measures that we have in uh, in place. And if the law is repealed, um, you know, things uh, obviously are just going to kind of business as usual. But but we do have an eye on this. And uh, Customs has a special tobacco interception unit now, which is, uh, you know, addressing this at the border. All very good, Chris. Hey, nice to have you on the program. Kia ora. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, there's Professor Bull on there, uh, fellow at the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco, uh, addressing this study. It was a study on this, just this issue, black market and tobacco. It was an Otago University study last year, uh, and that was peer-reviewed, and then it was published by the British Medical Journal. It's 19 past four. The panel are NZ National. Now, the new government has agreed to remove sexuality and relationship education guidelines as part of the deal with New Zealand First to remove, quote, gender ideology 
from the curriculum. The guidelines in question were introduced in 2020 by New Zealand First MP and Associate Education Minister at the time, Tracy Martin. The Post-Primary Teachers Association Acting President Chris Abercrombie told RNZ that schools need more information from the new government about the removal because he was not sure what they were trying to achieve. With us is Taslim Parsons, the founder of Share Satisfaction. Uh, Taslim, kia ora. Kia ora. How are you? And, very well, thank you. Look, it's not entirely clear what's been proposed, actually being acted at this stage, let's face it. What's, <laughs> what's, what, what, but what's your main concern here? Um. My main concern is that it feels very much like we're going backwards in terms of um, accepting, you know, differences in gender and teaching our young people and our rangatahi, um, you know, what it, what, what the different elements of sex education are. Um, it's not just about the physical stuff, you know, there's emotional content available. There's there's just it's such a massive subject and um and i believe that you know changing anything at the moment would be just a step backwards ellie i don't entirely agree with that i mean i'd like to see what the outcomes are on on the current sex and relationship curriculum I, um you know mm. are there stats available um it would be good to see them uh i mean what concerns me i think is the the fact that young people have more social media um you know social media is such a big part of their lives now mm. uh, access to porn uh the fact that a lot of young people see porn as as um normal sex normal relationships i mean i have i do have real concerns about that it makes this kind of education even more important not less consent obviously a massive issue but again as you said wallace we don't know what they're actually changing and until we do i kind of reserve my my comments on that but i'd like to just go back um uh, taslam and ask you about the stats and the outcome of the current sex relationship curriculum what do you know I don't have a huge amount of stats, but what I do have is um, just information from talking to lots of young people and families um, around sex education. And like you said, you know, if there's a vacuum of information, those rangatahi will fill it with misinformation mm. from their friends or porn. And porn is not real life. Mm. Um, and, and that's just such a concern. Um, you know, we, we had two... Um, <laughs> Sorry, and with two instances where young people have come forward and, and actually asked for more sex education um, to be to be given to them, and I think it's really important that, right. that we get that and they get what they they need because you know not all parents are equipped to give that information. Okay, well they, we have a teacher here, Taslam, yeah. uh, a former former a secondary school teacher yep. in Papakura, right, and okay. now a uh, lecturer at MIT. What's your take, Steve? Well, I mean, so so many thoughts on this. So start with one. Well, start with a good one. Well, start start with this idea of removing gender ideology. Um, but they're not removing gender ideology. They're replacing what they see as being the wrong gender ideology with mm. the correct gender ideology. And it's, and it's simply removing um, something they consider to be heretical with something they consider to be orthodox. What Steve, do you do we don't school? know that because we don't know what's in it. Yeah. We, well, how can you say that when we don't know what they're wanting to remove or leave in there? Well, okay, well, that, that's actually a fair comment. I'm, I'm simply going off, off the, um, the, the briefing <laughs> article that was right sent to me. Party. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, <laughs> what did you do at your school? Uh, uh, 
At my school, um, I because I can't remember much. No, um, this was taught usually during the phys ed classes, and and a lot of the sexuality education, um, and we're going back five or six years now, focused on things like um, consent, which is an extraordinarily important thing to teach. Mm. Because let's face it, you know, obviously, you know, maybe it's different if you're an act MP, but for the most part, sex is something you do with somebody else, and so you need to have an understanding that your sexual activities impact on your sexual partner and so an education that 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 teaches that consent is essential is is a really good thing to teach i think that's something we need to keep going um understanding that um and i would personally suggest that this is the case that um biology says that we have sex society says we have gender that's an increasingly um well established um concept well, I, just want to, I want to just go back a step. I want to actually go back a step and go uh, a, a first tip here at Tasman because some people say, including some people on the uh, 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 listing, saying, you know what, um, sex, sex education and sexuality is so fundamental and so important. This is the place where you teach at the home. You equip parents to be able to teach this sort of stuff. It does not, t- it does not take place uh, by a random teacher in a random school. Okay. They're not random. They're not random teachers, are they? Those teachers are highly trained. Okay, and so I, I firmly believe that there's a place for both. I think that some mm. parents will be open to this, and other parents won't be open to this. Some some children do not want to hear this from their parents. Do not want to have that conversation with their parents, and having a trusted person that they can speak to in a safe environment to deliver this information in a calm and logical way is got to be better than scouring the internet and picking But why up can't you include the parents in this? Like I'm thinking oh, you, about Of course you can. Yeah, and but that's no what I'm not shouldn't. seeing. No, but that's not that's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that this is sort of going on at school. I think parents and families have got to be involved. We used to have a big meeting in a hall. And the daughters would go with the mothers, the sons would go with the fathers, and they'd sit there or caregiver and sit there and be given the information by a trained person, someone who was supposed to give it. So there was that sense of engagement with both the parents or the caregivers. And, and the experts as well. but And that's what I see as missing, actually. Well, I, I don't know. I think, number one, that's very, very gendered. And it's been, you know, splitting boys and girls with mum and dad. I don't, I don't know if that's actually taken into account where those young people might be at at that point in their lives. But also, you know, I, I find, I would find that incredibly awkward. Now, with what was happening at my, and I've got two teenagers, what was happening at my children's school, we got an email saying, you know, this is, this is what's happening, RSC is going to be happening, this is what we're going to cover. And I actually emailed the teachers and said, are you covering gender? Are you covering, covering consent? Are you covering pleasure? Are you covering assault? And they sent me back a load of information. Now, obviously, because of my work, I'm interested, and I wanted to know exactly what they were going to cover. But there was never any point where I felt that I couldn't ask the question and I just wanted to know what was being taught to my young people. And you know what? It was really, really great because I then had the course content that when my child came home, I could talk to them about that okay. in a right. in a yeah. different way, in a home setting, and I think that's what we need to do. Yeah, and so, so it was mentioned before that we need to enable parents to have exactly. these conversations. So let's take a long view on this, right? What are we setting up when we do these lessons in school, but taking the next generation of parents and enabling so, them, then, so that they can then have the, that conversation with their children? And going back to the suggestion of, you know, the, the, the parents and the kids at the school, 
I'd imagine it will be the most horrifically toe-curlingly cringy <laughs> session hey, imaginable. Life like that, I, Oh, I know. But, even, but you've still got these random teachers doling out their random wisdom that apparently we're finding unpalatable. But because, because mum's sitting there with daughter and God forbid dad's sitting there with son and dear God, that's going to be horrific. You know, but we've still got the the same thing that we said we objected to five minutes ago, which is these these random teachers having their random ideas right. being being doled out. Yeah. Well, here's one. Are they are they random ideas or are they actually well researched well, and well, exactly. the whole course content? I mean, if you there's a great website called Beyond the Birds and the Bees, yeah. and you know that whole space was developed because young people were asking for that space, but then young people asked asked for information for their farm out and their caregivers. Yeah. And, and that's a fabulous resource for parents to go to. AJ says, speaking of parents, I'm glad your guest said what many people would be thinking right now. I didn't and do not want to be educated on sex by and or with my parents. What a joke. I know, oh. ridiculous. Yeah, and also, do, do, remember, <laughs> do you remember what yeah. teachers teach in, in high schools, in state high schools in this country, is not secret. It's not yeah. done um, at the whim of the teachers. It is required yeah, right. to conform to the national curriculum. Mm. And, and pr- um, principals and school administrations will know very quickly if those teachers are going rogue. What's being Absolutely. taught is very, very standardised. It's not like these teachers get to go and indoctrinate yeah. them in their own little wicked ways. <laughs> We don't get to do that, if only we did. Terrence, we've got to leave it there. It's been a long, wonderful chat. Um, Kia ora, I appreciate your time on the panel today. Um, as Taslam Parsons found a share uh, satisfaction. Uh, yeah, people are quite passionate about this. Oh, Ali, says Beatrice in Christchurch. The sex talk at school was the most awkward experience of our young lives. Um, another one here, consent is so much bigger than sex education. Uh, it is a whole other topic. It has important implications for sexual relations, and yet it is something you can teach and model from birth. And also, you would think, given how cringy and painful the whole thing is, you would think the parents would be grateful that somebody else is doing it for them. Hmm. Honestly. Uh, Pip says, Kia ora, I'm a deputy principal and health teacher. Can I please remind you that the Education Act requires us to consult with Farno community every two years? They are involved. Seriously, my experience is that students want sexuality education delivered by someone they can trust and can talk to. Honestly, sometimes that is not apparent. So, yeah, big response on this. Can you recall growing up, wherever you went to school, Ali, what happened uh, around your era? Yep, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Heat and intermediate in the big hall that always smelt like, I don't know, mouldy wood from memory. Anyway, we went there and yes, it was a girl mum thing and a boy dad thing and I know that things have changed and there should be options for people to do that. So just because this is what I did, I'm not saying this is the way we should do it. Right. But I also don't think we should be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So we sat there and we had, I think they talked about periods, they talked about some sexuality things, but it was mainly about your body from memory. And then we did have some biology stuff and sex education at school but having the parent there as uncomfortable as some people may find it and okay I appreciate that Mm. it is something that we do need to do together and maybe that will actually help parents and children re you know rebond if you like oh that's a good point no one's made that point Steve 
It's part of a rebonding process. Well, yeah, shared, shared discomfort, possibly. It's not, it's, I mean, we know we're joking about this, but it's, it's not always the most comfortable conversation that a child wants to have with their parents. No. But it has to be had somewhere. I, I had the great joy of going to Catholic schools in the late 70s and early 80s in Northern England, and, and sex was not something that was discussed freely and openly in schools then. It was, you know, the, the, less we, the less we had to know about it, the better, seriously. It was not a good way. Well, here's one. Your guests in the panel are quite right about the squirming parents at sex education session. On the other hand, I learned a great deal, says Richard, father of four.